Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Tova Lea Nachmani on Parashat Bo. What's your favorite spring holiday? Tubishvat, Purim, or Pesach? With the Pardes Daily app, you can learn more about each in just 15 minutes a day. Download the app, select your track, Bible, Halakha, or Hasidut, and you're ready to learn. Visit www.pardes.org.il forward slash Pardes Daily. And now, here is Tova Lea Nachmani. Parshat Bo, Engaging with Emunah. Fifty-some years ago, on an airplane on his way to Chicago, Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz, an outstanding Jewish philosopher in his time, engaged in a conversation with the man sitting next to him on the plane. The man, who recognized Rabbi Berkowitz and had read his book, Faith After the Holocaust, told the rabbi about a recent Holocaust Memorial Day commemoration that he himself had organized in his community. The guest speaker at the memorial event was a young rabbi who had grown up in America. When the rabbi said to his audience with great sincerity that in view of what happened to Jews in the Holocaust, he personally had concluded that he could no longer believe in God. The Holocaust survivors in the room became agitated and angered. I don't know exactly what they were thinking, admitted the man to Rabbi Berkowitz, but I imagine they were upset by the thought of how a rabbi who grew up in the comforts of America and probably never went to bed hungry, who never felt an imminent threat to his life and didn't experience even one day in a ghetto or in a death camp, who never witnessed the clouds of human smoke and ash rising from the incinerators. How could this person be speaking to us about conclusively losing his faith in God? That troubling conversation brought Rabbi Berkowitz to the realization that he wanted to write a sequel of sorts to Faith After the Holocaust. He would write a book about Emunah, about faith itself. That book would come to be called With God in Hell, Judaism in the Ghettos and Death Camps. He knew there were thousands of Jews for whom losing their faith was more painful for them than losing all of their worldly possessions. And yet, there were also a vast number of Jews who had held fast to their emunah, despite the horrendous reality they were living in. Rabbi Berkowitz was determined to write a collection of memoirs of these survivors in English in order to paint a living portrait of what he termed authentic emunah and to illustrate why believing in God was so important to the future of the Jewish people. Authentic emunah, he claims, is not about being able to understand and explain how God operates in the world. Authentic emunah is what we do because we believe in God. It is how we behave because we experience ourselves as living in the presence of God. It is how we spend our precious and limited hours of our life that we were granted by the grace of God. Berkowitz's book, Faith After the Holocaust, presented a philosophical attempt to preserve the integrity of faith in God by proposing new answers to disturbing questions, such as, why did God not intervene in order to prevent the manifestation of such extreme evil and suffering? Is it true that awarding free will to humanity is the sole principle determining God's manner of guiding the world? And if so, has God abandoned the world to the whims and evils of human freedom? If you are interested in these questions and more, I recommend reading Faith After the Holocaust. I have also attached in the source sheet two brief articles written by a modern Israeli philosopher and author, 
Dr. Tamir Gvanot, which explores Rabbi Berkowitz's philosophical answers in contrast to two other prominent rabbinic thinkers of his time. And now to the heart of engaging with Emunah. Drawing from many sources and stories in the epic book Ani Ma'amin by Professor Mordechai Eliav, Rabbi Berkowitz brings eyewitness accounts of the daily behaviors of faith-centered Jews in the Holocaust in order to paint a more vivid masterpiece about the depth of human emunah than volumes of philosophy ever could. I'm going to share with you one provocative anecdote about engaging with emunah from his book and weave it into this week's parsha, Parshat Bo. I am quoting in free translation from the Hebrew version of With God in Hell called Imo Anochi Betzara. Because all Jewish books were confiscated upon entry to the camps, Sidurim, prayer books, were not found in the camps. If there was a Sidur to be found, it was surely one that had been smuggled in. When it was prayer time in the ghetto, and even in the death camps, men, and often women as well, would gather to pray, three times a day. There were those who would pray aloud, who knew the prayers by heart. The rest would listen to them and answer Amen. Sometimes, People would write prayers from memory on bits of paper or scraps of other materials. Quoting from Professor Eliab's book, Anima Amin, Rabbi Berkowitz brings this incredible testimony from a survivor who said, I carry with me a fascinating handwritten sidur, the whole length of my journeys in the camps, and I feel an occasional faint lightness in my heart, even though a terrifying darkness has been thrust upon me. What is the lightness? The lightness is my knowing that one can be immersed in the depths of darkness and do what the simple Jew, Moshe Borochowicz from Jericho did, not far from Warsaw. During hard times, I would flip through pages of his Sidur. I would see them filled with prayers, Hebrew letters that were guarded for dear life. And each time I would be amazed at the holy and courageous act of what the regular Jew, Moshe Borochowicz did in the days when he was faced with the danger of imminent death. What did Moshe Borochowicz do? Most of his family was murdered, his wife, his daughter, his sisters, and their children. Together with them and with all the Jews around them, all of the Sidurim and Talitot prayer shawls had been burned. So when he sat hidden in a bunker in a distant village, completely isolated from the outside world, Moshe's heart was filled with the worry of what would happen if the world, not the Jewish world, not the Jews, but the world would be left without a sidur. He decided to write a sidur in his place of hiding, in memory of his family, and in his own memory if he would die. In the careful script of a Torah scribe, he reconstructed a sidur from memory, entirely from memory, on long, wide sheets of paper that he had found. Between the lines, he wrote the names of his own family members, lest they and their emunah be forgotten. That sidur is preserved in the Ghetto Fighters Museum here in Israel. Outstanding. In stark contrast to those dark and depressing days, today we have countless printed sidurim at our disposal in every language and in every corner of the universe. But sadly, 
In many homes, Sidurim are a hand-me-down relic that collect dust on the shelves. And even many traditionally-minded Jews who pray from a Sidur may not understand and appreciate the value of the Sidur the way that Moshe Borohovitz did. What do you think Moshe Borohovitz feared that the world, not the Jews, but the entire world would forget? You could pause here and have your own conversation about the universal messages that the Sidur begs to preserve, or continue with me and share your thoughts at the end. I will touch down briefly in three places in this week's Torah portion and look at three ideas from the Sidur through three different Jewish lenses. I will never know for sure, but I'm willing to speculate about what Moshe Borchowitz might may have wanted the world to remember and to never forget. Number one, to the prophets and sages who wrote the Sidur, engaging with Emunah means keeping the voice of God alive in our daily lives. In the Parsha, as the, cur- at the cur- as the curtain lifts on Parshat Bo, Moshe is threatening Pharaoh with a massive swarm of locusts that would darken the face of the earth. Pharaoh was so self-focused that even as he trampled the last vestiges, vestiges of human dignity, not of his slaves, but of his own people, and after the plague of hail had ravished almost all of the food in the kingdom, Pharaoh's royal guards had to shout to him, Haterem teida ki avda mitzrayim? Can't you see that Egypt is being destroyed? It's easy to point fingers at the stampeding bulls in our midst. It can happen before our very eyes, even in our own current political democracies. But the Torah couldn't only be pointing at the obvious, because to see what is obvious, we don't need the Torah. I believe that the Torah is asking us not only to stay vigilant and wary of trampling pharaoh types in our midst, but to also admit that there is a self-centered voice of pharaoh within each of us, yes, within me, that sometimes needs a good shaking up. Many of the words of the Sidur have been lifted with a tweezer, as it were, straight from the most challenging and essential emunah statements of the Torah. The words of the Sidur are like a divine inner voice that resonates within us. They are a second voice, a voice of harmony, as it were, that challenges and contradicts the primary, pharaoh-like voice of ego, which is on the one hand important and necessary for survival, but which on the other hand often revolves way too much about, around our own needs, my own needs, and desires in the here and now, while ignoring or minimizing the needs of others. Here's one small example from the climactic Amidah prayer, the silent prayer only one of the only prayers where we actually ask God to respond to our needs. In the middle of the Amidah, we pray for the judges in our society to judge fairly. This is no small request. Have you ever been judged unfairly at work, at home, in a court of law? Well, for most of us, the behavior of our judges is out of our realm of control. Others of us are fighting this battle daily in the courts. This prayer is teaching us not only only to hold our judges at the highest ethical standard of judging, but also to hold our own behavior to the same ethical standard as that of a judge. This prayer teaches us to pay attention to our own tendency to judge people unfairly and reminds us before we judge or criticize our partner, our coworkers, our child, or our friend, 
to listen with an open and sympathetic ear to their side of the story. When I'm studying Tanakh or Talmud, I may be reminded of this once in a long while. But when I'm praying with the Siddur, I'm reminded of this every day, one or two or three times a day. This is not just a Jewish value. Maybe this is what Moshe Bochovitz feared, that the world left after the Holocaust might never know, that there is a voice of God within every person which makes them accountable for the needs of others, which calls for an ethical justice system and which requires them to judge others fairly. Number two, to Rav Cook. To Rav Cook, engaging with Emunah means that even when we are in the throes of a disaster, God will ensure that the world is nevertheless evolving and becoming a better place. In the Parsha, the Torah tells us that the Jewish people actually walked out of Egypt as free people. After four generations, what a long, long wait. What a history of suffering. What a process. Our tradition tells us that it was such a difficult process that only one-fifth of the Israelites actually came out. The rest had assimilated and had, had, had exhausted their strength for engaging with their emunah. Even though Moshe had brought them promises of freedom and sovereignty in the land of Israel, There's plenty of bad news in our world. There's much to complain about at the end of the day. Is there anything wrong with complaining? Rav Kook writes in Olat Raya, his commentary on the Sidur, about the words from the Amidah prayer, Blessed are you, God, who makes salvation grow like a plant. Baruch atah Hashem matzmiach keren Yeshua. Rav Kook writes that the image of salvation growing, matzmiach, like a plant, is reminding us that progress and change happen slowly, in a process that the naked eye is unable to perceive from one day to the next. The nature of any kind of growth is gradual and can't be fast-forwarded because I am feeling impatient or even because people are unfortunately suffering. For Rav Cook, the belief that God is making salvation grow like a plant requires us to be optimistic as we engage with our emunah. Rav Cook writes that our job is to be on the lookout for that which is good, like a guard at his watch post who scrutinizes the horizon, in his case, looking for suspicious movements. Maybe this is what Moshe Bochovitz feared, that the world, left after the Holocaust, might never know, that our world is evolving positively, and that we must share our optimism with others. This means focusing on how, from bad news, even from the ashes of disaster, people can, can and must bring about positive change. And number three, to the Ramban. To the Ramban, engaging with emunah means looking at ritual objects and seeing them as conduits of deep truths for us to engage with and pass down to the next generation. One example from our Torah portion is the mitzvah of tefillin. Another is the mitzvah of eating matzah on Passover. At the end of the Pesach story, the Torah commands us with the mitzvah of tefillin. The Torah calls them totafot in the plural. One on our arm and one between our eyes. Ramban asked the question, what is the mitzvah tefillin doing in this section of the Torah? As a ritual object, tefillin are just a piece of animal hide and synthetic black ink. But Ramban insists that we look more deeply at all of our ritual reminders of the Exodus, our weekly reminder, Shabbat, our yearly reminder, Matzah, and our daily reminder, tefillin. Ramban asks, but what about the non-believers who have lost or reject, rejected the possibility of emunah? 
He answers, that is why we have ritual reminders, because God doesn't need to perform miracles for non-believers who question faith. For Ramban, our unbroken chain of traditions and ritual objects for thousands of years are a zikaron, a reminder of the transcendent yet imminent God who gave Egypt nine chances with nine plagues, and then in the tenth overturned the most corrupt society imaginable at the time. In our time, especially in the aftermath of the Holocaust, the miraculous survival of the Jewish people, the astounding rate of rebuilding, the continuity expressed in the willingness and passion to engage with Emunah, and the astounding accomplishments of the State of Israel bear witness for the world that God is still in our midst. One of countless examples of this in the Sidur is the prayer for the uprooting of evil and those who seek to destroy others. Maybe this is what Moshe Bochovitz wanted the world left after the Holocaust to never forget, that God knows, that God cares, and that God expects us to be God's partner in bringing corruption and evil to its knees. I'll finish with something personal. When I was a child, my parents used to say the children's bedtime prayer with me before I went to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. God bless mommy. God bless daddy. God bless my brothers. And God bless me. Other than that, we didn't talk about God in our family. I know that as children, my parents were not allowed and certainly not encouraged to engage with emunah. Nevertheless, they raised their own children with exceptionally high standards of behavior without ever inviting God to the dinner table. But as I grew up, my soul wanted more. My engaging with emunah has evolved and changed over many, many years. The more I have studied Torah and the wisdom of our sages, the more I have pondered and tried to connect the words and concepts of the Siddur with the realities of life as we know it, the more I have come to treasure the Siddur and all the hope and guidance it embodies. And the more I have engaged in conversation with my mentors and my teachers and my students, the more I have acquired a sense of humility and perspective in my emunah. I'm grateful to have an unquenchable curiosity about emunah and a desire to be growing and nurturing that never-ending relationship with my inner divine voice and with the God of our ancestors, who I believe is as close as we enable God to be. Having said that, I can appreciate that it is easy for human beings to be critical of God, especially when we or others experience hardships, sickness, and death, especially when our hopes are dashed and our prayers remain unanswered. This Torah portion, if we take it to heart, challenges us to ask that question. What does engaging with emunah mean for us? I challenge you to write about it or to speak about it with someone you respect and then to speak about it with another person and another as we entertain conversations with people who are engaging with emunah, maybe our own emunah will also evolve. I hope that mine will. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. You can also subscribe to any of our channels by visiting us on Spotify or at elmod.pardes.org. Tune in next week to listen Rav Mike Foyer as he discusses Parashat Beshalach. Thanks for listening.